power corrupts absolutely. But if you can think of an earthly power greater than that of banking, especially central banking, let me know so I can inform my listeners so we can join your crusade for truth, justice, and freedom for mankind. The process by which this enslavement was accomplished took a long time and proceeded through a series of legislative steps here in America, one of the most momentous being the Legal Tender Acts of Congress at the commencement of the Southern Rebellion, as Northerners referred to it in 1861. From this came legal tender notes, the first bills of credit under the Constitution, and issued in direct violation thereof, after which followed the National Bank Act of 1863, proposed by none other than Abraham Lincoln and his Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon P. Chase. This was political backpedaling as an alternative, out of which came national banknotes that were said to be less objectionable than United States notes, <clears throat> being issued by a system of national banks under congressional oversight to ensure economic stability for the nation, so as to make these private banknotes superior, so they said, in every way. That dream was not fulfilled, however, and the first bank panic under the National Bank Act occurred only six years later, in the year 1869. It was called Black Friday, followed by yet another in 1873, which precipitated a bitter contest between farmers caught by overextended credit and financial interests of the Eastern establishment. These crises gave rise to the political party called the Populist and were followed by yet a third bank panic, that in 1907. And that one convinced Congress that all was not going well with the National Association of Banks, which was looting America under the oversight and legal umbrella of Uncle Sam. A new and improved system of confiscation would be needed to instill confidence in the minds of a victimized public, and was promptly suggested by those experts in our major financial centers, such as Boston, New York, and Philadelphia. A new Congressional Monetary Commission was then organized to study the problem and was treated to a European whirlwind tour of the central banks operated by the Rothschild family, that being the surefire answer, they said, to our dilemma. Out of this came the Federal Reserve Act of December 23, 1913, and all it took to win the support of populist leader William Jennings Bryan was to make Federal Reserve notes issued by a private bank the obligation of Uncle Sam, thereby ensuring, so he thought, federal supervision over yet another private banking cartel. Regular listeners know that I'd be remiss in failing to point out to new listeners that it took only 20 years for the Federal Reserve System to steal the bulk of America's circulating gold coins, that in the year 1934. And, of course, that was all accomplished with the legislative assistance of Congress, of course. And in another 30 years, to pull all of our silver coins out of circulation in the year 1965. This would leave the American public totally dependent on intangible bank credit, called dollars, that bankers create out of nothing, for which they tack on a lending fee of compound interest, 
Now, if you or I were ever caught doing this, we'd be given an all-expense-paid vacation in a gated federal community called prison. Now, it may seem strange to some of you that I've incorporated such a lengthy dissertation about the legal tender debates of 1861 into a series entitled Economic Myths. And I must admit, now that I see how long this particular subject has become, uh, I need to apologize for not making this a separate series with its own title for ease of identification. Nevertheless, there are many critics of the Federal Reserve System out there who repeatedly laud the mythical virtues of United States notes in their books, video presentations, and in the pages of American Free Press. The Legal Tender Act of 1861 is a crowning achievement in the annals of populist mythology that has been told and retold so often that if populists had their way, it would be canonized probably as the fifth gospel found in the Bible. Well, let's give a title today's message, <clears throat> Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 21. And on the other side of this break, uh, we'll be continuing with an introduction to the fourth commentator, Mr. James Blaine. And here's our music. You're listening to Datum Line. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 21. That should give you an indication, if you're a new listener, that you're kind of jumping into, well, maybe not the middle of this series, but uh, uh, you're not jumping in at the very beginning. Every message of Datum Line from the very beginning, almost two years ago, has been connected, one way or another, with the previous message, and therefore will be connected to the message that follows. So to get a full understanding of what we're covering, you kind of need to go back to the beginning, at least of each series. In fact, you probably ought to go back to the beginning anyway. Anyway, uh, we're discussing the subject of the legal tender debates during the Abraham Lincoln administration of the 1860s. And uh, we've used several commentators, and today we're going to be referring to our fourth and last commentator on the subject. Now, each of these four commentators that I've selected has brought to the subject of legal tender United States notes a different perspective engendered perhaps by their personal background, the time frame in which they lived, their concept of justice mingled perhaps with their occupations. Uh, the first commentator that I selected several broadcasts back was uh, a professor of constitutional law, that being uh, Edwin Vieira, who wrote uh, Pieces of Eight in 2002. Our second commentator on the subject was an economist, a pro uh, Professor Edwin Kemmerer. Uh, he was a professor of international finance, and his book, Money, was published in 1935. 
Our third commentator, who we finished up with in our previous broadcast, was, uh, among other things, vice president of Chase National Bank. That was A. Barton Hepburn, his book, Contest for Sound Money, published in 1903. And you'll notice that we keep going back further and further in history uh, with our commentators. And, as in today's case, it'll be James Blaine, a member of Congress who, as a Lincoln Republican, tried to win the presidential nomination twice, received the nomination on his third attempt, but was defeated at the polls by Grover Cleveland, a Democrat. <clears throat> now, uh, his book, uh, or what, two volumes, was published in 1884. Now, of the four, Edwin Vieira, in his two-volume Pieces of Eight, published in 2002, uh, had the uh, benefit of seeing the long-term consequences of what Mr. Blaine, in 1884, could only prophesy, saying that the debate concerning legal tender would probably never entirely subside so long as the government keeps one legal tender note in circulation. Indeed, here we are in 2013, and the debate is heating up. It hasn't gone away. <clears throat> now, this year marks the 100th anniversary of the quasi-Marxist Federal Reserve System, and that will take place on December 23rd. Now, this is a system which falls short of the Communist Manifesto's fifth plank criteria in only one particular, hence I call it a quasi-Marxist Federal Reserve System, uh, and that one particular is that it is not run yet by the state, a word that Karl Marx used. Now, in our case here in America, this would mean the federal government, not the state of Maine or the state of Colorado. At least, it's not run by the federal government yet. But populists are working diligently toward those ends when the day will come that federal, reserves, federal Reserve notes will be replaced by United States notes. But not the United States notes of Abraham Lincoln's day, all of which carried a promise to pay. Now, to pay what and when? Lincoln's legal tender versions failed to say. Now, the demand notes that were issued back in that time uh, did state what they were going to pay. That would be paid in uh, lawful money, gold, and silver. But the legal tender notes, and remember that the demand notes were not legal tender notes. You didn't have to take them. Uh, if you chose to refuse them, you could. Legal tender notes are a little different. Legal tender notes are something you're compelled to take uh, that is, unless you uh, state that you only want to be paid in avocados or beef liver, let's say. And uh, under the legal tender provision, uh, those notes were said to be of equal economic value, equal purchasing power to uh, gold and silver of the same denomination, which, of course, is an absurdity. Uh, you can see that absurdity manifest today when you look at the so-called price of gold or silver compared to a Federal Reserve note. You realize that Congress can't pass a law that says that a piece of paper is equal to the value of anything else, whether it be gold, silver, or tobacco. Anyway, uh, the U.S. notes of the modern-day variety that are proposed by populists will look like today's Federal Reserve notes in that they will have no promise to ever do anything printed on them. Since a true populist believes that a dishonored note is the money, 
so long as our true blue patriotic congressmen are the ones who issue it. If, however, anyone else dares to put one of these things into circulation, the populace won't give it a two thumbs up, I'm pretty sure. But try one out on them and see if they'll give you anything for a piece of monopoly money issued by someone other than Congress or a banker operating under congressional oversight. Now, the new populist brand of United States note will occupy precisely the same place in our economy as Korean, Vietnamese, Russian, and Chinese currencies do in their respective economies, which must be a real plus for people anxious to fit into the socialist global network. Yes, indeed, those populists are really far-sighted thinkers, unencumbered by the absurd restrictions that they see in the archaic constitution written by a bunch of ignorant and hard-nosed peasants who learned the basic lessons of life from the Bible. One of those lessons coming from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 31, wherein it says, Envy thou not the oppressor, such as the banks, and choose none of his ways. But nevertheless, they seem to want to emulate what the Federal Reserve does, but they want Congress to do the emulation. Now then, too, if they and their followers are under 50 years of age, are you under 50? They, or you, never lived so much as one day in your life when every circulating United States note, Federal Reserve note, or silver certificate bore an absolute promise to pay the money and where every coin, a denomination over five cents, was made of 90% pure silver. And for those of us who are still under age 80, we never lived a day when gold served as money here in the United States. Is it any wonder, therefore, that Americans are so indifferent to the beliefs and convictions of our constitutional forefathers? Excuse me. What I noticed in my reading of these different commentators concerning the legal tender debates that broke out in 1861, and this is from the import of four different writers, is that Congress never seemed to take the time to demand an accounting as to why America was in such dire economic straits. Beyond the fact that the Treasury was low on specie, considerable sums of which were shipped to Europe in payment of foreign goods, and that state chartered banks suspended specie payment following a bank panic that began in 1857, only four years earlier. The pressing need for money during an emergency is always sufficient to block an investigation that might implicate bankers in the general practice of fraud and theft, which repeatedly found more IOUs in the hands of John Q. Public than there was gold and silver to redeem them in the vault of Mr. Sly and Shifty Detweiler, who owned the local bank. That seems to be our way. We just never seem to want to take the time, or never can take the time, to find out why things are the way they are. Well, here's our music. Here's our next break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you are listening to Datum Line. Today 
today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 21. On the other side of our last break, I had mentioned that uh, Congress uh, failed, it appears anyway, failed to have taken the time to examine thoroughly why the United States was in such dire economic straits and why the federal government was in dire economic straits prior to the outbreak of the Civil War. Uh, one of the reasons that they did cite, however, was that state chartered banks had suspended specie payment just recently. Uh, but they didn't go into a detailed analysis, I don't appear, it doesn't appear anyway, uh, as to why uh, that would have been necessary. Uh, and it probably would have uh, been worthwhile to, to take a little time to do that, you know, because... Uh, the reason banks suspended specie payment was because there wasn't enough gold and silver in the vault to meet all of the obligations that the banks had issued in the form of banknotes. And uh, the reason being is that the states, with the state uh, chartered banks, had authorized banks to operate typically on a 25% specie reserve. Now, that begs the question. Why would state legislators typically authorize a 25% gold and silver coin reserve against circulating banknotes, with up to 75% of those notes unbacked by specie? Well, because credit expansion has an exhilarating effect on the economy. Haven't you noticed? It's kind of like a shot of adrenaline in one of those terrifying situations that gives your body a tremendous boost of energy, you know, the flee or fight uh, principle. But you've also noticed that your body can handle this extra rush of energy for only a short time before exhaustion sets in. Well, so it is that a nation eventually becomes exhausted after being pumped up on a spending frenzy of low-cost bank credit. You see, it's called payback time, because when you put the credit into circulation at low interest, uh, that's the fun side. Uh, the not-so-fun side is when you got to pay it back plus the interest. Now, we call that an economic recession. And if it lasts long enough, we call it a depression. As Congressman Ron Paul used to say in so many words, if you insist on living beyond your means, the day will eventually come when you must live beneath your means. Now, the biblical alternative to such erratic pendulum swings in the economy is to shun the banking habit and return to the use of lawful money, which will promote slower but more stable and genuine growth not subject to the bank foreclosure. I'm reminded of a scene uh, when I took a leisurely drive, and perhaps you've done this, uh, you know, take a leisurely drive in the country like I did 40 years ago, back to early Americana. There was a day when I drove into Forest City, Maine. Now you look for it on the map. It's below Holton, above Callis, on the Canadian border. And it was uh, an early spring day, and the uh, trees hung kind of lazy over the roadway, and the foliage was coming out, and it was just a beautiful fluorescent green, I called it. And all was still in that sleepy little village of Forest City. 
a village of only maybe a few hundred people in the summertime, and the population would drop back to about, oh, maybe a dozen people in the wintertime, because a lot of people were from out of state, you know, Boston area, New York, Philadelphia, and so forth, and they have camps on the lakes up there. Uh, it was a peaceful feeling that uh, I would have imagined of a small town in the 1930s. It's just how I felt when I drove into that place. Back in the days, you know, when folks would sit around the wood stove at the general store to chat with neighbors and the store owner. You've seen those old photos, haven't you? But you see, Walmart replaced the general store. And the fast lane checkout replaced the, the wood stove. Hardly a meaningful conversation is heard today in a typical Walmart-type store. There's no time. <clears throat> and besides that, no one there is a neighbor. And everyone's too busy making all those bank payments, don't you know? America is too pumped up on economic caffeine to smell the roses. In the 1970s, when a typical home mortgage could be had for 12% interest, you could get a $40,000 house for the price of three houses. Yeah, you got that right. A $40,000 house cost 120000 bucks by the time you paid back the interest on the 30-year mortgage. That and a couple car payments kept people that I knew pretty darn busy. Today, <clears throat> there's a rate schedule for everything, all the way down to a toothbrush. And if you fall behind, there's a convenient payday advance nearby where one of those quickie loans can net you a 400% or more interest payback figured on an annual basis. That's a pretty hefty return, don't you think? That'll keep you busy. Well, <clears throat> enough of my musings. Let's go to Mr. Blaine and his literary work, 20 Years of Congress, Volume 1, published in 1884. And we'll begin at page 396, where he provides a sketchy background of the economic conditions that led up to the Civil War. Quote, When the Civil War began, the government of the United States owed a less sum than it owed under the administration of Washington after the funding of the debt of the Revolution. Close quote. <clears throat> Whoa. Let's stop right here. <clears throat> Evidently, Mr. Blaine, remember, a Republican of the Abe Lincoln stripe, as I mentioned before, he must have thought this was a more reasonable point of comparison than to cite a zero debt obligation under President Jackson in 1835 only 26 years earlier. But then, you see, Jackson was a Democrat. <laughs> so this may indicate some political bias on the part of Mr. Blaine. I just want to bring that to your attention. <clears throat> he goes on. The population in 1861 was nine times as large. Now, that's only 70 years from 1891. The wealth, 30 times as great as in 1791. Now, that's pretty fast growth. <clears throat> the burden, therefore, he says, was absolutely inconsiderable when contrasted with our ability to pay. But there had been such gross mismanagement of the Treasury, either from incompetency or design, he says, under the administration of Howell Cobb, that the credit of the government was injured. End quote time out for another one of my picky observations. 
This Mr. Howell Cobb was appointed Secretary of the Treasury in 1857 by President James Buchanan, who was a Democrat, which again may explain Mr. Blaine's readiness of mind to charge an outgoing administration with incompetence, or maybe even treason, if this condition was by design, you see. See, back in those days, there was a difference between political parties and what they advocated and what they carried out. Today, we don't see much of a difference between Tweedledee and Tweedledum, do we? Turning to page 398, he says, quote, If Congress had understood on the first day of July, 1861, that the ordinary expenditures of the government would be, in the fiscal years of 1863 and 64, more than the entire expenditures of the national government from the foundation of the nation to that day, and that before the end of 1865, this was after the war ended, the annual charge for interest on the national debt would reach much more than twice the total expenditure for the preceding year, he means the year 1860. Then Mr. Blaine believed that, in his words, paralysis would have fallen upon the courage of the bravest. He was referring to the bravest men in Congress, you understand. He added that, quote, in the year in which the rebellion, that's a capital R, by the way, on the word rebellion, and when he wrote the word civil war, when he said that when the civil war began, the word civil war were in lower case. But he says, in the year in which the rebellion, that's a capital R, see? And the rebellion is what the Northerners officially called it, would be suppressed in 1865. The receipts from customs would attain the vast sum of, get this now, 179 million, 46,651 dollars. I'm going to stop there. That seems like a trifling figure in today's Federal Reserve type credit. But that was a staggering figure when compared to over or less than $60 million in receipts before the war. Well, here's another break. I'm Bruce D. McCarthy, and you are listening to Data Line. to this final segment of this installment of Datum Line, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 21. Well, I had, uh, on the other side of the break, I had uh, just broken into a uh, quotation from James Blaine concerning Congress. And uh, he said that in the year in which the rebellion <clears throat> would be suppressed, 1865, the receipts from customs would attain the vast sum of 179-plus million dollars, <clears throat> which seems like a trifling figure today, but compared to less than $60 million in receipts before the war began, $179 million is a pretty good-sized uh, increase. But he says, from internal revenue, catch that word? From internal revenue, a source that had not previously been drawn upon, the enormous aggregate of $309,226,813, dollars, 
would be contributed, he said, now listen carefully, to maintain the public credit. End quote. For those of you who are interested in the subject of taxation, particularly the income tax, uh, you might find this of interest. You see, it was only five years, or only, or, or in only five years, that the taxes raised from customs duties on goods imported from Europe were increased 300%, while a new internal revenue system had been created to feed the voracious appetite of Uncle Sam, who could now raise an additional five times more in taxes than the total federal expenditure of 1860. And to what purpose all the new taxes? According to James Blaine, to maintain the public credit. Hmm. In other words, to sustain the bills of credit called United States notes or Lincoln greenbacks, what populists foolishly call interest-free, debt-free, honest money. You see, there's a stiff price to pay for extravagant living that's accomplished or attained with credit. And the creation of an internal revenue service during the Lincoln administration was only one of those not-so-hidden costs. You see, the greatest asset of government, in times of peace at least, is the power to tax. Now, in times of war, the greatest asset of government is the power to wage war and steal what it wants. But in times of peace, uh, if you have lawful taxes that are lawfully collected, then the power to tax is what government needs, and it used that to maintain the public credit. Turning to page 399 in James Blaine's book, uh, 20 Years of Congress, Volume 1, he says, quote, The chief dependence of the United States for revenue, said Blaine, had always been upon customs, end quote. Imagine a federal government supported only by taxes on imported goods, wouldn't you like to live in such a country? If you bought American products only, Uncle Sam got no money from you. Can you imagine living in such a world as that? Most of us couldn't. He goes on, quote, But no real test had ever been made of the sum that might be collected from this source. End quote. Well, unfortunately, the Civil War would change all of that, and a whole lot more. He goes on. The aim had been to see with how small an amount the national government could be supported, not how large an amount might be collected. End quote. Isn't that a novel approach to government and taxation? It's one you don't hear echoing in the halls of the same of the uh, Sam Rayburn building down there in Washington, or from all the shameless beggars who lobby Congress for endless handouts. From isolated statements like these, by James Blaine, we get an inkling as to how far we've departed from the public mindset of our national beginnings. With every generation of Americans taking another step away from the independent Christian work ethic and the free enterprise system that was spawned by the Constitution that required all public offices 
to pay their obligations with lawful money, gold and silver coin, only, not with instruments of credit, call paper currency, by which government could confiscate what they wanted instead of paying for it. And there was a penalty for any Treasury official, you remember, who was found guilty of debasing that gold and silver coinage. The penalty? Death. Found at Section 19 of the Coinage Act, April 2nd, 1792. The penalty of death. You see, our founding fathers took this subject seriously. But can you imagine anyone in Washington today, the international crossroads of Babylonian bank credit, having the gall to suggest that we return to gold and silver coin, or that anybody in public office be punished with death for debasing that coinage? Oh boy, they'd be run out of Washington in a heartbeat. Now, if you'll permit me to cut into Mr. Blaine's time just a little bit more, to editorialize a bit further, our founding fathers took this issue very seriously, having been the first Americans to suffer the depredations of paper currency, and possessing wisdom sufficient to recognize the error of their ways. Unfortunately, the delegates sent to Philadelphia in 1787 were unable to prohibit the criminal practice of banking, to which the general public would soon become addicted. But they recognized that freedom from federal tyranny, at least, could only be maintained and obtained by a small and therefore efficient debt-free government made answerable to those who produced our nation's wealth, not welfare recipients who could vote all of the largesse that you produce by sheer numbers of them at the polls. It was the producers who were the ones who were going to do the voting at one time in America. Where the producers, not the bankers and certainly not Congress, where producers held the purse strings of government. Gold and silver supplied the chief economic means by which to avoid a cancerous bureaucracy. A public debt, interest upon that debt, an income tax to fund that debt, an inflation arising out of a debt-credit system, and national bankruptcy. Now, this perspective, founded upon Scripture, is lost on present-day Americans, but was more clearly understood by many of our early statesmen and their constituents back in the late 1700s. <clears throat> now, among the pages written by Mr. Blaine, we find reference to the repeated issuance of treasury bonds and notes as the chief means used to finance the war effort, being much preferred by the Lincoln administration over the imposition of new and higher taxes. And he said that there was a widespread, page 403, there was a widespread opposition among the strongest advocates of the war to all measures which would at an early stage, render the contest, that being the war, pecuniarily, that meaning economically, oppressive, and hence make it unpopular. And quote, God forbid that a war be unpopular. You may remember the same kind of rhetoric surfaced with the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. How Vice President Dick Cheney casually said it would be a matter of six weeks, like it was a walk in the park, an easy victory, nothing to get excited about. Never mind that President Bush later said that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. Thereafter followed the exciting 
mainstream media reports from their embedded reporters among the troops regarding a war that was popularized on behalf of the administration. Our duty, once the fighting began, said media marvel of American patriotism, I'm referring to Bill O'Reilly, was to shut up. Well, <clears throat> I see that our time is uh, fast approaching where we must end. Uh, we're going to continue in our next broadcast with Mr. Blaine's observations uh, from Congress in the 1860s. And that will finalize our discussion of the legal tender debates. And we should be able to wind it up in our next broadcast, after which we will continue with more economic myths. There are lots of them. We haven't covered them all yet. In fact, we may even do a little bit more of a review of the myths that we've covered in the past for those people who haven't joined us in previous broadcasts. Well, uh, this is the end of this installment of Datum Line. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and I hope this has been of interest to you. Thank you, and have a good day. God bless you. step do you begin to smell some funky little things going on let me share this story with you it's not so much a story it's something i wrote years ago read your history people stock markets collapse on friday bank seizures closures holidays take place after business hours on friday do currencies or governments also collapse on friday <laughs> tomorrow's friday Will the end come on this Friday, or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people, and the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Well, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge and are prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for a private consultation. Once again, our phone number is 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? 
For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plants. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. That's rbnhemppaste.com. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats. And even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pouty arco super tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, in 
trying so many different coffees that were so good. And uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee. So I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new Ease-Off drop and lift? What in the world is an Ease-Off drop and lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Ease Off, LLC, 417-932-6419. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Do you or someone you know suffer from chest pain, blood pressure, cholesterol, or irregular heartbeat? Are you looking for a more natural solution to overcome these health challenges? 
You hear the ads all the time. If this stuff's so good, why doesn't my doctor prescribe it? That's easy. Doctors are not trained in natural medicine. Extendivite Heart Tonic does want you to be as healthy as you can be, and it really works. Take Extendivite for six months, and your doctor will say, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. It's working for you. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Ciroc rape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skincare products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Kilad Atzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race and the fact that race drives history and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, you know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's a Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, you know, I mean, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. 
Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. One of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at kettlemoraineltd at cox.net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602 799 8214, or visit our website, Sierra Madre Precious Metals.com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure, just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raise the way nature intended.